You're listening to a main session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Oh, wow. You have a seat. Uh, Love Jonathan and Natasha. They are building an incredible church in Canada. And uh, thank God, because next year is going to be really bad basketball-wise in Canada. Um, I understand somebody left. I don't know what the deal is. And uh, then uh, the Coopers. What what incredible wisdom. Wow. And uh, good stuff. And then Herbert, did you see that his socks match his shirt? Did you see that? So I want to, my wife's not here. I need some buttoned or unbuttoned. What do you, what do you think? Un- but- buttoned. We're gonna, have a, we're gonna have a great time in this session. Uh, Pastor Chris, amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, I learn from him more all the time and uh, really appreciate uh, Gene Apple and the Eastside team. Wow, Un- unbelievable hospitality. And uh, I just wanted to uh, real quickly point out or introduce our West Coast lead team. They kind of they, they are responsible for really... Uh, really kind of stirring things up on the West Coast and seeing God do good things. And we have Kevin Gerald here, Benny Perez, Obed Martinez. Yeah, Miles McPherson, Dave Patterson, Casey Treat. It's kind of a weak. Mark Estes. All right. Philip Wagner. And Sean Nepstad. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. So I, I'm here to tell you, it's been a great, great year for ARC. Um, together, we have planted 76 new life-giving churches, 76. And you know, I, I believe, I should have got this information before, but I believe that in one of our church planting like seasons that we had more churches planted on the west than we did east. Um, and so, so some incredible churches are being planted out here. Uh, this year, there were 18,788 people at the launch day attendance of the churches. And this is what always amazes me. On the first weekend, there were 766 people that said, I wanna follow Jesus. That's just the first weekend. There's an average of 265 uh, people in attendance. Um, This year, 16,698 pastors and leaders attended 227 meetups in 108 cities in 37 states. Now, is that not amazing? How many of you... How many of you have ever been to a meetup? Have you been to a meetup? Yeah. If you haven't, you haven't raised your hand. It's one of the goals you need to make this year. And all it is, just a little, we get together and care for one another. I know I was looking at CJ, is that you way over there in the corner? Spoke for CJ just a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, I think, in Sacramento. And uh, we had a meetup, probably 30 people, 40 people, uh, planters and just uh, folks that were interested and, and uh, partners and just 
hang out together, share a few things. And so try to get to a meetup this year. Uh, almost $1.6 million was given in a single offering at our Birmingham campus to plant 32 brand new churches. Is that not amazing? And together, together, and that's the key word, we do it together, uh, we funded almost $8 million in church plants this year. Almost $8 million. And, uh, and, and as Chris mentioned earlier, we are knocking on the door of 900 churches. Now, I want you to see what I did just then. The actual number is 871. Always round up, okay? If somebody asks you, how many people attend your church? Go to last Easter's attendance and round up. And then send those numbers to Outreach Magazine. Some of you are already doing that. I see the numbers, <laughs> whatever. So, so it's, been, it's been a great year. It's been a great year. It's so much fun to do it together. I have people ask me all the time um, that, that are just hearing about ARC or, or I'll go to a meeting or whatever, and they'll, they'll say, what's the secret sauce? What's the secret ministry sauce of planting life-giving churches and about 93% of them over a five-year period are, are, are surviving, not just surviving, but thriving. What is the secret sauce? So I wanna talk to you for just a few minutes about, uh, I've, I've thought about that a lot, and I've kind of distilled it down to four simple rules for success in ministry. In fact, I, I think it's beyond ministry. It's four simple rules for success in life and business, in, uh, and you can apply it in, in a lot of different ways. Let me jump in, four rules. Here's rule number one. Put God first in everything you do. You say, well, that's fundamental. Yes, it is. Do the fundamentals. Put God first in everything you do. Best scripture on that, Jesus had his disciples together and they're worried about all the stuff going on in their area of ministry and, and Jesus kind of put it in focus. And so I wanna read it to you. It's Matthew 6, you guys are familiar with it. But how have you know that sometimes you'll read from a different translation just to kind of get a new flavor on it, right? So I'm gonna read this one from the um, New Church Planners version. <laughs> Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your church how many people will attend or how big the offering is, or about your body and what you will wear, whether you can still fit it in skinny jeans or not. <laughs> is not life more important than offerings and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life or another zero to the income side of your budget or get you on outreach's fastest growing list? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow and they, they don't labor or spin and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor made it onto the preachers and sneakers. Just a thought. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So don't worry, saying how many people were at our launch 
Or who's going to show up next weekend? Or what are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and everything else that you need will be given to you. What I call that, that's the success shortcut. That's what it is. Just seek first the kingdom of God and God will give you the things that you need. He says, don't worry. What do we worry about as preachers? We worry about nickels and noses and we worry about our family. You know, is, is everybody gonna turn out okay? Or we worry about criticism. I mean, I, I, I preached a message uh, two weeks ago at Seacoast and I thought I did. You know, every once in a while, you really feel like you nailed it. And I nailed it. I mean, I'd heard Chris Hodges preach it before, but I nailed it. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm walking around. You know, that's, you always go in the foyer after the good messages. <laughs> after the bad ones, you go to the green room. Foyer, good messages. I'm out there. People are going, Pastor, that was awesome. That was so good. It spoke to me, and I knew it, was, it wasn't bad until I got home and got the email. One lady, you didn't talk about Jesus enough. And I thought, we take communion every week because we believe Jesus did it for us. And we did, you know, you know how, how that, you got this whole thing going on. Critics, critics, and we, we, we worry about it. We worry about it. Don't, don't go read the comments on somebody's Facebook post, okay? Just, just kind of let it go. We, we, we worry about, where am I gonna get my next staff? Who's gonna leave next? That's the biggest heartache in a pastor's home. A lot of you are pastors. Others of you are on staff. Some of you are just, you're high capacity volunteers in your church. And you need to know that it doesn't matter whether the church has 20 people or 20,000 people. It hurts when somebody leaves. It just does. And we, we try to teach at Seacoast at ARC, we try to teach our church planners that you're gonna have all kinds of different people with you and they're all good people. Your problem is not people. Your problem is the enemy. It's not people. And some people are, are you know, they're cinder blocks. They're with you. They're, you build the church up. They're gonna be, I've got people who are cinder blocks in our church after 32 years. And other people are scaffolding. And that's not a negative thing. They're there. You know, you put scaffolding while you're building something. And sometimes it's when you start the church. Sometimes it's, it's when you're raising funds for the new building or whatever it is. And, and they're there and, the, and, then, and then they're gone. We take it personal. It's not their God's sheep, but we worry about it, don't we? Um, in fact, I've discovered that when it looks like things are falling apart, usually they're falling together, you know? That, that, that's why it's, I'm real slow these days to put a good or a bad sticker on an event that happens or somebody that leaves or somebody that comes because you don't know unless you're omniscient whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. And here's what's cool is that even when it's a bad thing, God's word says that he works together for our good in the middle of that. So, so why worry? Worrying doesn't move the needle on any of that. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul would say to church planners and pastors, chill. <laughs> chill. In fact, what if we told ourselves a different story? Let me suggest one. What if we said this? This is God's church, not my church. He promised that he would build his church and nothing could stand against it. He has promised that he is for me and not against me, so it doesn't really matter what others are saying or even what my circumstances are saying because Jesus said, if I would seek first his kingdom, he would add everything that I need for life and success, so I'm not gonna waste a single minute by worrying about things I can't control. What I can control is making you first place in my life, so today I'm declaring that I'm putting God first. How about that? Wow. So the first rule is to put God first if you want to be successful in everything. Here's the second rule. Now, these are, these are simple. They're not easy. And if you know simple's not always easy. Second rule, treat people right. Treat people right. And that's not rocket science. Jesus said it like this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So in every situation that you have as a pastor, as a leader, I would say as a business owner, leader, in your marriage, just ask yourself first, how would I want to be treated? See? Uh, so let's go through a few of those scenarios as pastors. For church planners, you need to think about this. How, if I was another pastor in the community where I'm going to plant, how would I want to be treated? That's why we say honor, 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 honor. I like to tell church planners, you're not the greatest thing that's ever come to your city. You're just the latest thing, okay? There have been people that have sowed before you. Be careful. And here, listen, let me kind of be a father for a few minutes. We've been doing this 30-some years at Seacoast. And... Um, uh, here, here's, here's the newsflash. Someday soon, you won't be the new kid in town. All right? You know, I love the great theologians, the Eagles, uh, who said it this way. Everybody loves you and they'll never forget you till somebody new comes along. And someday, you're not going to be the new kid. How do you want to be treated? All right? Here's another one. If you're going to have a tough conversation, how would you want to be treated? Would you want to be avoided? That's what a lot of times we do. Would you want to be ignored? Because that's what it feels like. Or would you want it to be full of grace and truth? How would you want to be treated? How about a compensation um, conversation? How would you want to be treated? How about this? Pastors, maybe you've got an existing church. When a staff member wants to leave, maybe they've got a, a vision to plan a church, or maybe they're just going to go somewhere else and and, and it's somebody that kind of is, is key to your whole thing and you're, you're thinking, I don't know how we can make it without them. Let, let's go back to point number one. Seek first the kingdom. He adds all things. Nobody's indispensable. You're not indispensable. But, but we have these feelings. We, we, all, we all do. And I want to challenge you. When, when a staff member comes to you and, and, and they're wanting to move on, um, ask yourself the question, how would I want to be treated? Remember when you had a better idea? Remember when you, you, know, you, you, you wanted to go? Do you remember how you were treated? If it wasn't good, don't be that guy. And if it's about metrics that's bothering you, change the narrative. Just count the family tree rather than just your branch. Did you get that? I think that's probably more how God counts it anyway. So celebrate. 
Let me talk to those of you who may want to be church planners or you may be want to uh, leave a staff. Ask yourself, how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be treated? And I would say this. I can remember preaching. I, I did a message one year at the art conference and it was about the need for church planning in America. And it just resonated with this one guy who was sitting just down the row from his pastor. In fact, we've quit asking, we used to say, you know, how many of you have planted a church in the last little bit? How many of you have a church in your heart? You just stand up. Because some guy stands up, his pastor goes, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. But anyway, a guy stood up close to his pastor and God had called him to plant a church just right down the street from the church that he was at right then. He just knew it was God. <laughs> I've got a word for you. You're going to love this one. Don't split the father's house. Did you, did you hear the scripture that Herbert and Tiffany were talking about where Abraham, what did he do? He split the father's house. He left the father's house because God had a city for him. God has a city for you too. I thought about the early ARC lead team um, when Billy was still alive. I was just going down uh, those guys. Scott Hornsby, who's here, uh, had, a, had a church in his heart and he didn't split Bethany in, in Baton Rouge. He, he went to Clinton. Chris Hodges had a church in his heart, been a lot easier to stay where all the family was and all that. And God had a city for him and it was Birmingham. How many of you are glad that he went to Birmingham and submitted to God? Rick Bazette didn't split the father's house. He went to Little Rock. Randy went to Bradenton, Florida. Joe Champion didn't split the father's house. He went to Austin, Texas. And if you're discouraged about your slow start, you need to talk to Joe. He's got some great stories. Still slow, he says. John Siebling didn't split the father's house. He went to Memphis. Rob Ketterling didn't split the father's house. He went to Minneapolis. Stovall Weems went to Jacksonville. Matt Fry went to Raleigh. There's two exceptions. Dino. And Dino's pastor imploded. And it was necessary for him to be there. And it was good. I'm the other exception. I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. was invited there by my spiritual father. And he had a vision to plant churches in the Charleston area. And so I knew that. I knew that ultimately we'd be planting a church. And so Debbie and I picked the area of the city that we thought we would most like to be in. We're praying, asking God to direct us. We got just the right house. We got all of this kind of thing. And when it came time to plant a church, my spiritual father came to me and he said, if we plant that church right there, it's gonna split, it's gonna split the father's house. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And it's only 25, 30 minutes away from the church, but it was about 40 minutes away from where we had picked out. And they picked it out for us. And so what I did is I said, okay, God, I'm gonna trust the father that you've given me and we're gonna go there. We don't know anybody, but we'll go. And here's what else he did is he put parameters around what we could do. He said, you can ask anybody that lives in that city, um, to go with you. If, if, if anybody wants to go outside of that, they need to talk to me. And at first I thought, man, that's not right. Then I thought, this, this isn't my church. This is God's church. And I don't want to sow anything right now that's going to come up as crops around me later when, when God does what he wants to do. And so we stuck with the parameters and God did, did okay. 
So here's the point. Don't split the father's house. Jesus didn't split the father's house. Satan tried to, don't be Satan. It's kind of simple, okay? (laughs) God's got a city for you. You're gonna like the rest of this message. Let's go on. All right, put God first, treat people right. Here's the third thing for success. Work hard, work hard. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Work hard. My first job in youth ministry was borderline abusive. Has anybody else had that testimony? I was their first youth pastor. It was my first job. And my job description after I came on, I found out was I was the worship leader, the youth pastor. Seriously, I was the church secretary. I was the construction assistant because we were building a new building. And I was the collection agent for the pastor's rental homes. And for, and for all that, they paid me $6,500, I was about to say 65000 $6,500 a year and asked that my wife not work. And then here's what he told me. Here's what he told me. First day on the job. He said, we work here. We work hard. We work Monday through Saturday noon. And then you take Sunday off. Well, I led worship on Sunday morning, <laughs> Sunday night, and had a youth class for Sunday school, but that's your day off. It was abusive. I thank God for it. I learned how to work. I needed a work ethic. Learn to work hard. Uh, Proverbs chapter six or 12 and verse 11 says, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Work your land. I was with a church planner not long ago. It was a couple of years ago. And, um, and, and, and I told him, I said, um, listen, how you doing? He talked to me a little bit, struggling in some areas. And, and I said, listen, I follow you on Instagram. You're at every conference. You're at every cool thing that goes around. You're, you're at more places than I am, and I'm paid to do this. Dude, you gotta work your ground. Let me tell you something. Instagram, Facebook are great discipleship tools. You, you follow people, watch them, you kind of see what's going on. But work the ground, work the ground, work the ground. Now, you've got you've to uh, learn to work on the right things. Uh, my uh, grandson, Miles, uh, is uh, uh, a bit of a soccer prodigy. And anyway, a couple of years ago, I took him to a game. His parents were gone. And uh, he had scored five goals the game before. And so I asked him, I said, how many goals are you going to score for Papa this time? And he thought about it. And he said, I'll score two. So he had a great game. But guess what? He didn't score any goals. In fact, they pulled him back on defense because his team was a little better offensively and they won two to one. So we're on our way home and uh, I said, Miles, great game. And he says, no, it wasn't, Papa. I said, what do you mean, no, it wasn't? He said, I didn't, I said I was gonna score two goals and I didn't score any. It was like the Holy Spirit drove, you know, his his word through my heart. I, I thought, here's what I did. I had just asked him to be responsible for something he had no authority over. And whenever you take responsibility over something you have no authority over, that's called stress. And so here's what I said. 
I said, I apologize to you, Miles. I will never ask you again. Here's what I'll ask you. Did you hustle? Because nobody out hustles a Surratt. You can control the hustle factor. You cannot control how many people come on the weekend and how many dollars there are in the offering. God brings the harvest. You work on the systems. And that's so important. Put God first, treat people right, work hard on the right things. Here's the last one. This one trumps all the other three. Don't do anything stupid. (laughs) You can put God first, treat people right, work real hard on the right things, and do something stupid, and it unravels the whole deal. Any testimonies? How many of you are glad that your stupid things don't get put on television like some, some, some folks do? We all do it. We all do it. Um, Proverbs 29 and verse 11 says, fools give vent to their rage, but wise people bring calm in the end. Have you ever done something stupid in anger? We all have. Have you ever said something stupid on Facebook or Instagram? Sure. Proverbs 18 and verse two says, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That's social media today. Proverbs 17 verse 28 says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. You want people to think you're smart? Just don't say anything. (laughs) Um, Have you ever thought about crossing a line that could bring everything you worked for down? Let me just be quick to say that there is forgiveness in Jesus. There is restoration by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Dino and I were talking just as the service got started, he said, you know, ark is about rescuing people. It's about caring for people. He said, it's, it's, it, it's about bringing in the misfits. And then he pointed out several people right around us. And then he said himself, and then he pointed at me. He said, even you, your stupid stuff just hasn't got in the public yet. Anybody else relate to that? Yeah. And so, and so there is, we don't shoot our wounded, we restore our wounded. Okay? But the wreckage is devastating. I, I told my wife the other day, I wish I could bring every ark planter partner with me into those devastating meetings When you do something stupid, you cross a line and the wreckage in the home or the church, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's devastating. And sometimes it doesn't stand. And that's why Proverbs 14 and verse 16 says, the wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. Let me give you three very quick things as I close um, that wise and cautious church planners do. Number one, they make a list. And make a list. Uh, I used to keep a three by five card in my pocket everywhere I went. If I had a jacket, I'd put it here. I'd put it in my back pocket if I didn't wear a jacket. Had it with me. And on that three by five card, I had put a list of things that would happen to me if I had a moral failure. Said it would dishonor God. I would lose respect and integrity. It dishonor my spouse. Probably lose my job. Be shamed in the community. I wanted that on a card. I've got it memorized now. It, does, it isn't a guarantee. But you need to make a list because when you cross a line or do something stupid, 
Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like that's what you're doing. It's like there's a thought that comes and this is gonna be good and you can justify all kinds of things. How do you know you can't control what you think, but you can control what you agree with? Okay? And so, and so get the truth down. Second thing you do is enlist a friend. Enlist a friend. We believe that every pastor needs to sit at at least one table with a group of people who love them but are not impressed with them. And you need, if you do the Enneagram, you need an eight as a friend. You need a challenger who will challenge you. Don't hang around them much, they're not fun. But you need one. Make a list, enlist a friend, and find a pastor. You need to find a pastor. You need to find men and women who've worn a little tread off the tires. They got a little pain in their life. I don't trust anybody that hasn't had a little pain in their life. They've been there, they've done that. They got the t-shirt and they've worn holes in it. And they have the gift of encouragement. Somebody who'll just say, I'm proud of you. Just a, about three years ago, the Lord really showed me that my ministry is around those words. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. You need that. If, you're, if you're, uh, you've been in the race a while like I have and people ask me all the time, they say, what can I do to help Ark? Here's what you can do. Take the name of about five or 10 church planners and you just text them and encourage them. And you tell them, I'm proud of you. If you're a church planner, you need to find pastors who will love you and care because we're gonna make it over the long haul. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. So here's what I want you to do. We're done. In fact, why don't you stand? Will you stand just, just a minute? I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not, but let's do it. I'm the president. I can do anything I want to. Isn't that right? There you go, Dino. <laughs> let's commit publicly. Let's put your hands up. Put your hands up. God, I commit to publicly putting you first in everything. If you are for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. If we seek first your kingdom, you'll add everything we need. So I put you first. God, I make a commitment right now to treating other people right. I'm gonna think about how I wanna be treated. And God, we're gonna work hard on the right things. God, help us to be wise. Help us to be wise. God, I thank you for this group of people that love you. They're here to make a difference in their cities, in their communities. And so God, I pray that your kingdom would come, that your anointing would really rest on us today in these areas that you want us to kind of make improvement on. And so God, I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed this session from the ARC Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations, and to register for an upcoming art conference, visit artconference.com.